Praise the Lord. Well, we're going to finish out on the gifts of the Spirit today, and uh, I'll be directed about next week uh, from Chris, from a phone call, what, where we're going to go uh, for the time being. But we are working on the uh, learning how to get the most out of God's Word when we read it uh, program, uh, a thing we're going to be doing. I've got a uh, rough draft up and ready to send it off soon to... Uh, my son's assistant, my son's assistant at church does my work for me while I'm on the road, so uh, I'll have her work on that. In the meantime, we're, we're going to talk about speaking in tongues, uh, a little bit more about prophecy, and uh, about interpretation. Most of our emphasis will be on the speaking in tongues part because we distressed what prophecy was last time. I, I do want to say that uh, months ago, I... Uh, and I actually have it in this folder, this notebook. Months ago, I rolled up a rough draft of uh, what a vision team would look like and what a reach team would look like and for your church. And I wrote it out in rough draft form uh, several months ago. So if, if you are interested at any time and would like to learn more about what does a vision team and a reach team look like in a church, let me know and I can work behind the scenes. I can make a, a drive down here and work with a group of you to help you with those concepts, because it doesn't matter who pastors your church. This is your church, and you as a body of Christ have a responsibility to this community. It, it, it isn't the pastors alone. It is the whole church together. And when you have a direction and a focus, it can make a huge difference on how effective you get. I, I had to park in the back today, because I got here late enough to park in the back, because there's nothing in the front, which is fine. So I, I'm glad you were there, because the more you see in the front, the more it looks like people come here. So fill up those front spots right away. Um, and like I said, drive both cars if you have to. Let them know something's going on in here that's good. Um, and it is good. It is good. I brag about you all the time. Um, but I've never been in the back before, that I recall, and I, I can't believe how much property you have. And you've got a nice piece of property here. There's so many community things you could do right on this property. You got a kitchen, you got a room in there, and you got the outside. Uh, there's there's some real evangelistic opportunities right here on your property, and uh, so uh, again, if you ever want to know what you can do, let me know because I have 48 years of experience of resources in my brain and in our uh, uh, portfolio that we can help you uh, really reach out into this community. So just, you just let us know, because we'll always be on call. No matter who pastors, if they ever need me, I will always be on call. Praise the Lord. So today, I want us to understand something about We're going to go to 1 Corinthians 14, and we're actually going to go through the whole chapter. And don't get scared. Uh, it's a long chapter, but we'll, we'll keep our time. I've got the clock in front of me. We'll, keep you, we will, we'll have you out by 2 o'clock and uh, get you home in time for the football game that will be half over before you get there. Uh, Eagles. I don't, know how, I don't know if you guys are football fans or not down here. You're probably more Baltimore for all I know. I don't know. Eagles, hey, okay, very good. Uh, I, I, I still tend to lean a little bit toward Detroit because I'm from Michigan, but uh, I, I root for Eagles because I live here. Now, uh, I want you to understand something about 1 Corinthians 14 because it's important. It's got a lot to do with understanding the chapter. Paul was writing this chapter in a corrective manner. Uh, there was apparently that we don't see in the chapter, but because of the way Paul wrote it, it's believed that there was a lot of uh, misuse, 
misunderstanding, youthfulness, not understanding, not knowing of the use of the gifts. So Paul is having to regulate. Think of that word regulate. Okay, he's having to regulate the use of the gifts because they're not being understood properly and they're not being used properly. And you know what, when they were new to Pentecost, so it, it was a learning process for them, just like it would be for us today, get filled with the Holy Spirit and then it's a learning process and how to use the gifts. It would be a learning process. We understand that. So, but uh, speaking in tongues is a spirit inspired utterance. It cannot be conjured up by the human spirit. The human spirit has to be open. We have to be open to the Lord. We have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. We have to be sensitive to what he's saying, what he wants to say, what he wants to do. But speaking in tongues in any way, it does involve the human spirit and at the same time, the spirit of God. The, our spirit intermingles with God's spirit so that the believer communicates directly to God. When we're ministering in tongues, we are ministering to God, whether it be in prayer, praise, blessing, thanksgiving, uh, when we're communicating in the lang prayer language. When it comes time for the gift of tongues, though, there's additional responsibility. There's additional things there. Uh, speaking in tongues within the congregation uh, does have to be regulated. Uh, this, this, this is an area where it can become very, very sensitive because uh, some people are, get filled with the Holy Spirit and they read this chapter and they think they can't worship God out loud in tongues because it says there should always be an interpretation. But remember, we've given you the differences between the definitions of tongues. There's the one in Acts 1.8, which the Greek word is different than the one here in Acts, at 1 Corinthians 14. One is for the expression of, of communicating with God. The other one is for the gifting up for the church, where there would be a message in tongues given to the church. Well, that's different than if I, if I was on the platform this morning ministering in tongues, and uh, I don't have to have interpretation for that. If you want to stand there and worship the Lord, you come to the altar and you're, you're praying in tongues, you, we don't have to have interpretation for that. But when there is a loud delivery, there was that moment in time where that one person is speaking out loudly, that as you have had happen here, then that one is supposed to be interpreted. So let's take a look at that from a biblical point of view. Uh, uh, no message in tongues should be given unless someone present, though, is able to interpret that. That's important. Now, I want to read 1 Corinthians 14 right now. Uh, 27 and 28 for just a moment for first Corinthians chapter 14 27 and 28 and then I'm going to go back to first Corinthians 1 first verse but 27 and 28 says if anyone speaks in a tongue two or at the most three should speak one at a time and someone must interpret if there's no interpreter the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to God when alone uh, this becomes a challenge for some people because sometimes there's been people over the years that thought they had a message in tongues, but they just didn't give it. And when they would share that with me, I could, I could because of my responsibility spiritually for the church, I could immediately have a direction from the Lord. Well, then, you know, sometimes God gives us a message, especially when they said they thought they had the interpretation. Well, sometimes God has given you that message and it wasn't meant for the whole church 
or that message in tongues was just you were expressing yourself to God that, and there wasn't to be an interpretation. That's where it's very, very difficult to, to be open to the Lord, to, to, to know when to speak out. And some people are, I think, have had a, a message and they didn't speak up because they were scared, they were nervous, they'd never done it. Well, you're going to have to learn to do it sometime. And, and if, if the pastor is walking with the Lord as he should or she should, then it's not going to be a problem for the pastor to guide that message that came out. Uh, and I'll, again, I'll talk about that a little bit later. Now, let's go to 1 Corinthians 14, to verse, verse 1. Verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 14. It says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially gift of prophecy. For those who speak in a tongue do not speak to other people but to God. Now, this again, you've got to follow the trend here. This can be, there's a difference here. Paul wants us to know there's a difference between the two. There is you standing there worshiping God in, the, in a prayer language uh, versus speaking out loud for everybody to hear. You understand the difference? There's that worship of tongues, and then there's that message of tongues to the body of Christ. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But those who prophesy speak to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. That's in the language we know. The prophecy would, would be in the language we know. Those who speak in a tongue edify themselves, but those who prophesy edify the church. I would like, a, a, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesied. Those who prophesy are greater than those who speak in tongues. Unless, say unless, unless they interpret so that the church may be edified. I can't begin to tell you how many people have always put the tongue, prophecy above tongues. And Paul is already beginning to say to us, they are equal in value. When it is no longer equal is when you give a message in tongues outwardly, the message, not just the worship in your private worship or you're on the altar standing there worshiping the Lord. It, where it becomes a problem is when there's never an interpretation. And as long as there's, he said, unless they interpret. So when he said unless, he brought the value of tongues right on the same level with prophecy. If there's not an interpretation, we have lessened the value. They're both equal in value when there is an interpretation after the message of tongues has been given. That's what Paul said, unless, so that all may be edified. And that, that's an, an important factor. Now, for a moment, I, I want to show you something. I want you to go to chapter 12. At least write this down in your notes, chapter 12, and verse 30 and 31. And I'm, I'm sharing this, and I'll tell you why. Because uh, I, over the years, dealing with my friends from other denominations, uh, we are a Pentecostal uh, movement uh, approved of God. And uh, as, our, as a movement, uh, I don't know if you know this, but the Assemblies of God never really considered themselves a denomination. I don't know if you know that, but if you look deep into the archives from the beginning, the Assemblies of God didn't believe in denominationalism. They believed in a volunteer cooperative fellowship. The Assemblies of God is really called, and they may use that word at times, but they don't consider themselves a denomination. The, the, others do, other churches would, but we are considered a volunteer cooperative fellowship. Our churches voluntarily cooperate with the Assemblies of God standards and doctrine. That's how we are labeled in, in reality. Now, 
be, and because of that, some people believe that because of these two verses that tongues would die off, they would cease, they would no longer be necessary. Here's what it says. Uh, do all have the gifts of filling? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater what? Does it say gift or gifts? Gifts. gifts. The, I've had my friends outside of the Pentecostal movement, colleagues, ministers that say, you guys don't understand. Love took over in chapter 13. It took over. We no longer need the gifts because it said desire the greater gifts. I said, but did you hear the word gifts? It didn't say gift. It said gifts. It's plural. So uh, now I said, but then you say they ceased in 13. But then why does Paul talk about them in chapter 14? Why does he regulate them? OK, so let's let's take another look at this as we're as we're looking at that, because in First Corinthians 14, one again, look what he said. Follow the way of love eagerly. And no, follow the way of love and say and eagerly desire spiritual gifts so they did not cease when they said they ceased just because it said love was the most important thing that's the greatest is love it is great but you know what first corinthians was why somebody might ask well why would god put a love chapter in first Corinthians 13 because he wanted to make sure that what was done in chapter 14 that the gifts that were being used and the way they were, could be used had to be done in the spirit of love. That's why he prepared us in 13, so that there would be a love transaction taking place with the gifts, because the gifts were being abused. Why do you think Paul said they must edify, comfort, uplift? Why did he keep saying that? He kept saying that because people were using these gifts in a way that was harsh and strong. Not that you can't have a warning from God. Not that God can't give us a good, firm spanking, you know, spiritual spanking. It's not, it's not that God couldn't correct through these gifts. It's the attitude of the people given them, and they were of a harsh nature. They were of a strong nature. And so he said, no, these things have to be done. He said, follow the way of love. Make sure you do these gifts in love. That was an important factor in this passage. So, First um, um, Corinthians fourteen six through twelve. Let's go there. Let's go to uh, chapter first uh, fourteen, chapter fourteen again. And we'll start up with verse six, and six through twelve. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the flute or harp. How will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Now, if I picked up a trumpet and started playing, you could not distinct what I'm playing. If my oldest son picked up a trumpet and played, you can distinctly understand what's being played. And we could be looking at the same sheet music. You can understand his playing, but you will not understand a thing I'm playing. I said to my wife last night, I said, honey, if I just babbled a bunch of funny words out of my mouth, do you think that with all the thousands of languages in the world, is it possible that I could be speaking a language in the world I don't even know about? Isn't that funny? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? Intelligible means that 
if it's interpreted, then it made sense. It's intelligible. It's interpreted correctly, too. It's got to be interpreted correctly. How will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager for the gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. In other words, try to excel in those. Once again, build up the church, edify the church, comfort the church, encourage the church. He's, he's saying that you, you're, you're going to be speaking a message in tongues. There's got to be a way that it is understood. Let's go to verse 13. For this reason, through 17, if you're keeping notes, 13 through 17. For this reason, those who speak in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? Well, I will pray with my spirit, and I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you are praising God in the spirit, how can the others who are now put in the same situation as an inquirer, someone who comes in and listens, say amen to your thanksgiving. Since they do not know what you are saying, you are giving thanks well enough, but the others are not edified. The others are not edified. Uh, I, I might have told you this, but we, we had this lady in college that was singing. Remember the singing in the spirit? I think I told you about it. Again, I, I taught a class on Wednesday nights with my son and wife recently, so I may have just said it there. But she's, she's, she's singing in the spirit. It's beautiful. And a guy come up to me and said, I know what that language was. He was from Vietnam in, in the war. He was a soldier. And he was home going into the ministry. He said, that was pure Vietnamese she was singing. So here she's worshiping God in Vietnamese language. Now, I don't know if there was Vietnamese students in the chapel that day, good number of students in the chapel. Maybe it was just for him. Maybe it was just for her. She didn't know what she was saying. She didn't know the language. But boy, she was lost in the spirit. She was lost in the spirit. And it's not that she was out loud. I was just standing near her when she was singing. She was one of our professor's daughters that was going to school there. So when he said praying with my mind, what do you think he meant by that? Praying in my understanding. You know what he meant? Paul's saying when he says I prayed with my mind, with my, with my spirit, in my, with my understanding, he was saying he was praying the language that everybody knew at that time. So whatever the language was where he was that part of the geographical location, he's praying in his own known language that he knows. That's how he's praying. But when he says he's praying with, this, with the Spirit, or his mind is praying and worshiping with the Spirit, he's talking about his prayer language, tongues. So that's the difference that Paul's making there. There's praying in the understanding of the intellect, of your own intellect, and then there's praying in the Spirit, a, a language that belongs to the Lord. Or some language around there, because on the day of Pentecost, remember, they all heard their language being spoken. While they were speaking in tongues, they didn't have a clue what they were praying. They have a clue what language they were praying. A bunch of people who came for the day of Pentecost feast, they heard their own language in their own country being prayed. They were hearing the praises of God in their language. Isn't that cool? And I think I told you, again, I don't remember if it was just that Wednesday night class, but I think I told you about the lady up in Newark who, uh, did I tell you about that lady that came in the service? Uh, 
And there was, she, she was a German. She spoke German. She couldn't speak English. And while she's sitting there, uh, a lady is interpreting the message, the whole message. She's whispering in her ear what the pastor is saying. But at the end, at the altar call, there was the message in tongues. And uh, she uh, got up and walked to the altar. Give her heart to the Lord. Not one person sitting there knew what that language was. But the Holy Spirit that night gave a message in tongues that was German. And it was an invitation to come to him. She went to the altar. She gave her heart to the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? And uh, so that meant that when the interpretation came, it had to been invitational for those of us who speak that language. So it covered both those who were in that service who needed the Lord to come to get more of them, but it also included the, the language of German, the German language. Uh, I, I think I, again, I apologize if it was if I'm repeating myself, but the Baptist preacher who was on the African field and he had to preach and his interpreter got sick. He said, Lord, what do I do? I don't know this language. He said, I just want you to open your mouth and start preaching. As soon as he did, he started speaking pure African language of that tribe. And he had never been baptized in the Holy Spirit. I bet that changed his tune after that happened to him. Yes, Lord. Yes, it's real. It's real. Uh, so 1 Corinthians 14, 18, 18. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Now, Paul here is not, and listen carefully to this, He's not necessarily saying, I give a lot of messages in church more than you do. It's not what he's necessarily saying. And if he is, or he's also saying, just in his prayer language, just in his daily life. Now, does a person, because I was raised very strict Pentecost, very strict. We go to camp meetings and all that, and we would hear evangelists say, if you don't speak in tongues, you're losing out, you're not close to God, and if you don't pray in tongues every day. And I, I, I would get, oh my goodness, Lord, I'm not even filled yet. What do I do? You know, I didn't get filled until I was uh, halfway through my junior year in high school. And, uh, the, but the point was, Paul's saying more here. He's saying that I do have a prayer language. I am one who does pray in tongues. So Paul kept his prayer language active. And uh, that's going to be another sense of the very to talk about, Okay. Because I've heard people think they can just start speaking in tongues and speaking in tongues. And there's a difference between speaking in tongues because of rote memory versus speaking in tongues because you're being urged by the Spirit to speak in tongues. You're even being urged by the Spirit to pray in tongues. I do believe we develop a prayer language. I do believe that because I have been used in it. I pray in the Spirit. I, I did this week some. And so there is that moment when you just feel it, it comes upon you and you begin to pray in the spirit and you start praying that language that was given you when you were filled. Uh, but I also cannot just stop right now and start speaking in tongues, to speak in tongues. People do that. There's people who teach you how to speak in tongues. No, that's not my job. I'm not gonna have a class tonight at six o'clock. Come in here, I'll show you how to speak in tongues. No. You come here tonight at 6 o'clock, we're going to grab around this altar and let you see God and let the Holy Spirit fill you. Because that's his job, not my job. I don't give you a language. And I've heard people doing that. My, I was at an altar one time with my sister in the church years ago when we were in high school. And my, my sister and I were seeking for the Holy Spirit. And 
this lady said, just say, just say this, just say this. And so she repeated it. She said, you're failed, you're failed. I, that was tried on me. I mean, I, 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 was, I, I tried to force something. I was trying to speak in tongues, but I walked away not feeling it. And yet I was told I had it. I didn't feel that. Let me tell you something. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you know you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You don't need anybody to tell you when you walk away from that altar. You know that you know that you know. Because it's a work of the Spirit. It's not a human conjured up thing. Uh, so, but in, but in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Unless, don't forget, there was an interpretation. We've got to go back to the beginning where he talked about it in the first five verses. So you see Paul still correcting. He's still regulating. He's still guiding them. All right? Now, uh, okay, let's read on. Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children in regard to evil. Be as infants. But in your thinking, be adults. In the law it is written, without tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. But even then, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So even if there weren't tongues, and even if they're, you know, through the lips of foreigners, people still won't accept the Lord necessarily. They still won't pay attention. That He's bringing that out. But definitely, it will be a problem if there's tongues and there's no interpretation. It would be a further problem. Uh, reading on, tongues then are a sign for the believers. But for the unbelievers, prophecy, however... It's not for unbelievers, but for believers. Let me read that again. Tongues then are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Now you would think it'd be the other way around, wouldn't you? You really would. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues, and inquiries or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under the judgment by all, as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare, so they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. So, the prophecy can bring someone to the Lord. But if there was tongues and no interpretation, it therefore would be confusing. But, he's also saying, if it's a sign for the believers, if it has been interpreted, then that becomes a huge sign to the unbeliever that God is among you. This is real. If the prophecy is good, it's good for them to believe that God's among you. But if that message, don't forget, we've got to go back to the beginning of the chapter. If that message was interpreted, then they won't think we're out of our mind because they'll have a connection with what was said. Because then it does become the, the, it does become the importance of the pastor when a tongue interpretation is given. Uh, in, 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 unless there's no new people in the church, and that would make sense. But if there is new people walking in, and they're not familiar with this, it's important. I would always explain what just happened in the church. Almost every time there was a gift in tongues, interpretation, prophecy, something, I would explain it in the pulpit afterwards. I noticed my son does the thing. We had the gifts of the church, and my son does the same thing. He'll get up there before he preaches, and he'll explain what, was just, what just happened. He wants people to understand that there was a connection between that language you heard and then that understanding you heard in English. He wants them to understand that was what God was saying in this known language. Well, that becomes an eye-opening for unbelievers to start believing that, wow, this is kind of nice. This is, wow. Beast that explains it. 
It doesn't always necessarily mean they accept it, but it does explain it. So, uh, verse 26 through 28. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation? Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. There you go again, built up, edified, comforted, encouraged. If anyone speaks in a tongue or two, or at the most three, should speak one at a time, and someone must interpret. What Paul's saying here is that we're in a service. And let's say today, three of you at different times gave messages in tongues, back to back. Paul's saying, you can't do that. <laughs> if there was a message in tongues, you have to wait for the interpretation. Then the other two can go in order, tongues, interpretation, tongues. But can I tell you what else Paul's saying here? He's saying that it isn't impossible that in one given service, there could be two or three messages in tongues. That's what he's saying. When he said two or three, he's saying that could happen. Now, some theologians believe that what that means is there could be two or three given, let's say, at, at worship, at the end of worship. Unless at the end of the service there's another one or two. He's saying that would be okay. As long as they are interpreted. So you see, we don't have to talk a lot today about what interpretation is. It's just explaining what you heard in tongues. That's basically it. If there are no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to God when alone. Now, so there can be more than one in the service, but each has to be interpreted. And, and I'm going to say something that's a little hard to maybe hear, only, only not in this church though, I, I, every time I've heard a message in tongues, there was an interpretation. But do you know what we're supposed to do? When, and I had a brother that gave interpretations from time to time, and I noticed he'd be quiet for a while before he gave it after a message in tongues. You know why he was being quiet? He's one of our deacons. You know why he was being quiet? Because he was waiting to see if someone else had it. He was a spiritual gentleman. He waited to see if someone else had one. And so he could be chomping at the bit, but he didn't want to step on somebody else. He took this very literally, and it is literal. It's important that we do wait to see if there's someone else God wants to raise up and use. Now, here's a delicate time. So, Pastor, what do you do when there's a message in tongues, or prophecy for that matter, but they, the interpretation, or the interpretation doesn't come? Uh, that's, a, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Because there can be a time when, the, uh, most of the time we always had interpretation. Don't get me wrong. But once in a, pardon my expression, but once in a blue moon, there wasn't an interpretation. Folks, I just want to encourage you. I get in the pulpit, I say, listen, we had a message from the Lord. We're going to let that message be a, an experience for that person who gave it. But I want to encourage you in the future, if you feel an urge or a sense that you should give a message in tongues, inter interpretation, step on in faith. So I would use it as a teaching moment, but I never reprimanded anybody for the gifts they gave. Never from the pulpit did I reprimand them. If I had somebody that I thought was a little, we would pull them to the side and have a gentle talk with them. But never did I correct in the pulpit. I always guided 
in the pulpit because the gifts are for edifying, upbuilding, encouraging, coming, not rebuking somebody. Why'd you give that gift? But what did Paul also say? Pray that you interpret. Now, in this church has people who give inter interpretation. So the person who gives the message in tongues could just be relying upon God using that person. But you have to be ready to give it. In fact, Paul said, don't even give it if you don't already know the interpretation. He leaves that impression. Make sure that you have a sense of what that interpretation is before you even give it. If not, you're to be silent because it brings confusion if it's not done right. All right? So uh, let's go to verse 29, and this will help explain it no more. Two or three prophets. Uh, I think, did I just read that? Uh, no, two or three prophets should speak. Now, these are the prophets should speak. Comes to someone who is setting, wait, excuse me. I'm getting my, I, I'm sorry. And the others should weigh carefully what is said. So two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. So you don't have interpretation with a prophecy. It's in the language we understand. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. And he says, the spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregation of the people of God. So, uh, here, if, if, they, if there's more than one who has a prophecy, all he's saying here is, wait to make sure someone else does it. Same for the gift of tongues, interpreting it. Wait on the Lord. See if somebody else wants to interpret. All right? But here, for prophecy, same principle. If there's a prophecy and you think you have one, just wait. Make sure there's not someone else that has it. And if you do, and no one gives it, then you give it. And then, by the way, he may raise somebody else up to give another one. We've had two in one service, and, you know. Uh, so, and let me also tell you something. We're in a large congregation. We see the thousand people, so it's, it's a big church. And we have, you know, it's, this is delicate, but you have to be careful that you speak loud enough to be heard because if it's a message to the church, the church has to hear it. <laughs> One Sunday I was at home. I, I forget why I was at home. I wasn't here. I was at home. And uh, uh, my wife was in the service. And she, I watched it online. And I heard this woman giving a prophecy. And it was really loud. I barely had to turn the TV up. This is my wife. She makes sure that the mice hear it in the church. <laughs> She's been using that gift a lot, and she makes sure that even the mice hear what's being said, and the insects in the ceiling. She wants that to be heard by everybody, because she knows it's a word from the Lord. Yeah. But you, you can't say, the Lord said today. You can't do that. People got to hear. It's a message from God. You got to elevate your voice. You got to make sure you're sensitive to that. And, and, and bring that forth so it can be understood. Uh, one time there was a person giving a, a, a prophecy. I had to turn the TV up to hear it. So th they have to remember there's people in, on the line. My son has a large search service this morning online, a huge line. They, they're from India. They're all over the world listening in uh, on, on streaming it with us on Sunday mornings. So he, uh, 
yeah, that's an important key. All right, that's an important key. So if, if there are more than one who has a prophecy, wait to make sure someone else doesn't, then give it, if not. That's just being uh, orderly. That's what he's saying. Be orderly. So the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not a God of confusion. So the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. So uh, if I may, may I word it this way, my human spirit, the human part of me, is subject to the prophets. Our spirits of prophets are subject to the prophets. So I, I'm submitting my personal will to the other person who may have that message so they can be given. Are we understand? Are we tracking so far? Okay, if you, if you didn't understand something, you can email me. I do e-counsel all the time. A lot of con I have a lot of clients. All right. Even though you are in the spirit, also, I think this verse means that you are to be the spirits of the prophets or subject to prophets. I believe it also means that you are, you are in the spirit, that even though you're in the spirit, you are in control of your emotions. That's a very important one. It's very, very important. I think that's partly what verse 32 is also saying. That you are, because one of the things that Paul would not believe in is that he, he wouldn't believe in the, the emotionalism, you know, the, the, the what, it's, it's, we're into, listen, we're made of intellect, will, and emotion. Lord Jesus, help me to say this right. I think there's a thinking out there that if you shout and scream and yell when you give a message or something, that that's a sign of the Holy Spirit on you. No, it's not. The, the, the Spirit is subject to the prophets. We, we need to follow what Paul said because it's got to be understood. That doesn't mean you can't speak loud. I just told you my wife speaks loud. You can hear it out in the street corner. But, but there's, this, this is not about an emotional gift. It's about God speaking at that moment. He's got to be heard. He's got to be understood. And, and if we're not careful, we're trying to convince people that that prophecy is greater than the word. That prophecy is not greater than the word. The word is greater than the prophecy. In fact, it's got to be graded by the word. When that interpretation comes, when that prophecy comes, it has to be interpreted by the guidelines and by what the word of God teaches. Remember I told you about the Jack the Giant Killer guy? Yeah. Put that in his interpretation of tongues because he went, either went to see the movie and remembered it. So let's go to verse 37. Again, I want you to send me an email if you have any questions because I'm more than happy to uh, help you. If any think they are prophets. Uh, let me see here. Okay, verse 34. Women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask, ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. <laughs> Maria, you are disgraceful today. <laughs> um, so let's talk about that. I had a, 
I had a gentleman come to me of a different persuasion, different church background. He brought his fiance in and he, they're leaving the church. And because we believe women uh, can be, uh, can speak. We believe in the sons of God, they can hold credentials. Uh, you, you got, uh, Deborah was a judge. That's a, I mean, I can show you all kinds of women that were in ministry in the Bible. Uh, there, uh, in, in the seminaries of some of these schools, they've actually changed some of the names that were in the Bible that were women's names that were pastors, and they changed them to men's names. In the seminary, in modern seminaries today, have changed the name to be a man's name, not a woman's name, when it clearly, in the Bible days, was a woman pastor. And if you look up in the Greek, and when you look up the definition of deacon in the Greek, uh, language, you will find that it's deacon slash deaconess. So there could be female deacons in the church in Bible days. But they don't stress that because Acts said they picked out seven men. Well, they did that time, at that time. But there were deaconesses and could be deaconesses in the Bible days. So just going by what the Greek says, and we know where that came from. God wrote the Bible. So here, it, it's not wrong to pray or, 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 no, well, let me, no, let me, before that. So this gentleman come to see me, he says, well, you know what, women would be signed in the church, Romans, 1 Corinthians 14. I says, is that what it says? He says, yeah. I said, well, let's, let's read that together. So I read it to him. I said, hmm, Paul is not asking her to not give a word. Paul's asking her not to ask her husband during church service a question. Oh, I, I didn't notice that. Said, yeah, so you can't use that scripture to say women can't speak or share a gift. Can't do that because he clearly is saying here. And, and, let, and let me tell you, there's two things you need to know. And ladies, do not be offended by what you're going to hear. But in Bible days, and, 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 and Brother Weymouth will, I can help you with this if you want more help with that. But let me give an example. Well, your teachers can help you with that. Uh, in Bible days, historically, women and men didn't sit together. If you go to a nom I've been to a Namish service before with a funeral, and the men and women today still don't sit together. And so in Bible days, they would be separated, and, and even if they weren't, if there was something said, the wife would ask her husband, what, what, what is, what's being said? And Paul's saying, you, you, you do that at home. You don't do that during the church service. So um, that was what it was. Because, number two, as you might not know, women were not, and don't, please don't take this wrong, but it was always the men who led the way in the learning of the word. Women didn't get the chance to know the word like the husbands did. So it was normal for the women to ask questions to, and this is historically found out. You do go back and do some research. Check me out. Everything I'm saying today, check me out. You'll, you'll find women weren't given that same privilege of knowing information in the Bible as men were. So it was normal to ask questions. But Paul simply says, just don't do it during church. That's all that's being said there. So women, don't hold back. Let God use you. You can be used of God. There's so many women in the Bible who were. I know you're probably full of questions, aren't you, today? Verse 39, or did the word of God originate with you, or are you the only people? 
it is reached. If any think they are prophets or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge that what I am writing to you is in the Lord's command, is the Lord's command. Those who ignore this will themselves be ignored. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. And I think one thing Paul's saying here is don't get off on a rampage on your own. Stick to the commands of the Lord. Stick to what I've told you. Paul's saying stick to what God's word says. Stick to what God's word means. Don't go off on your own tangent. Can you see that there the way it's written? Now, what's going to help you today is if you go and reread this chapter and notate what you may have written down today or notate the scriptures that I hope you wrote down so you can reread those. And if you have any further questions, please feel free uh, to reach out. And uh, uh, because we're doing in, in a 45 minute span easily what we could have taken uh, many more weeks on. Uh, so we're giving you something to put your teeth into. When uh, I was filled with the Holy Spirit, I'm sorry if I repeat myself, but I see more people here today than, than, than the time I may have shared this. But it was on a Sunday night, and I felt uh, I was praying, and, and the Holy Spirit was really falling in our church, falling. And that's something that was already in there. It just manifested itself in a great way. And uh, people at the altar seeking for the Holy Spirit, I didn't feel I was filled yet. I was halfway through my junior year in high school. And I'm over here on this side of the sanctuary in Michigan. And my dad looked at me and went, and he's always six foot, strong as an ox. You do it, he says, but I didn't. I just bowed my head again, prayed some more. I looked up and I looked around. I bowed my head and I felt the Lord saying, go to the altar, go to the altar, both times. And I already was feeling the urge, but I was resisting it because I was scared, didn't know, wasn't sure. The third time the Lord said, in a spiritual voice, not in an audible voice, he said, get to the altar. Go pray for Steve to get baptized in the Holy Spirit. I said, Lord, I'm not. How do I pray for someone to be filled? So the urge was so strong, I got up, went to the altar. I put my hands in the back of Steve. And I started praying that Lord would fill him with the Holy Spirit. And uh, of course, I was open. I just went sure because I was told I had it once at an altar at our church, but I didn't feel like I did. I just felt like I was being told I did because I tried to speak in tongues. And uh, so all of a sudden, I felt three vibrating hands on my back, three older Pentecostal spirit-filled ladies surrounded me and Steve, and I felt the hands just gently touching me. And I looked up to the Lord, and I, let me tell you how I, I, I was filled. Here's what I, one more important thing I need to say before we close. There's almost more I could say, but this is what I want to say. Uh, I understood that there would be a language that would come to my mind. I, that's what I was taught in Bible school. Of course, by then I was filled with the Spirit, but that's what they taught. The way the Holy Spirit is coming upon us is that there'll be this language that will kind of form in your mind, and it won't make sense to you at all. 
but I remember the professor saying, and this is what I did, that's what happened to me when I was in high school. He said, just speak out that language in faith, even though it don't make sense. Well, that's what happened to me that Sunday night. I had this language come to mind, and I just started speaking. So the Lord let me know, I just started speaking it. And lo and behold, I was gloriously just praising the Lord, speaking in tongues, I was all over the place. I was just having a good old time, didn't want to go home. I, and here's the spirit subject to the prophets. I was aware of my surroundings. I wasn't lost in another world. I, I was very aware of what was around me because I knew those legs were praying, that people were praying, and, and I was just gloriously filled with the Holy Spirit. It's interesting, that very next morning, I picked up my Bible and carried it to school for the rest of my school career. Uh, that's, it was just the boldness of the Lord came upon me so strong. I already was a witnesser, but I became a witnesser when I got filled with the Holy Spirit. It really stepped up. And uh, anyways, I got gloriously filled with the Holy Spirit, and uh, Steve never did. He didn't get filled that night. So I, I think what the Lord was doing to me in hindsight, I think the Lord was giving me an experience that was beautiful. I think he was like saying to me, you've got your mind too much on tongues. Get your mind on me. It isn't tongues that baptizes you. It is me that baptizes you with the Spirit. So I think when I got up there and I got my mind on praying for Steve, it got my mind off my limitations, my hesitations, my questions, my hesitancy, and I got gloriously filled because my mind was off me, was on Steve, and I got, I got uh, hoodwinked by these you know, side dragons, these uh, spiritual hit ladies come up to me, Lord, and they're praying in tongues and praying over me, and I'm getting gloriously filled. So praise the Lord, it's real. Oh, my friends, it is real. And when people say, don't listen to one person on planet Earth that says to you, speaks in the tongues is of the devil. Because I want you to take one good look at the book of Acts and the book of Corinthians, the book of Acts. If it's true that tongues is of the devil, then how in the world did the Lord turn the world upside down so effectively if it wasn't for the power of the Holy Spirit that fell on the early church? So why would God use something so powerfully and allow it to be of the devil today? No, it is for today. I already proved that to you in one of the messages I preached. So praise the Lord. God bless you. And make sure you bring a pencil and your Bible next week. Uh, whenever I, I come back, uh, Chris guides me on that. Uh, make sure you bring uh, your, your, your Bible. And uh, uh, I'll bring the paperwork. You bring your Bible, bring your folder. And bring a pen or pencil because you're going to be writing. We're going to have a workshop with your permission. You said I could, correct? I just want to teach you something you can do that can help you get the best out of your Bible reading that can be life-changing for you. So praise the Lord. Let's, let's pray. Father, I, I'm sure today there might be questions and we want to do everything we can to help or they can go to the leaders of this church for help so that there can be more explaining and understanding is that we want to make sure that we understand how these gifts operate and they are for today, and they are existing in this church, and I thank you for that. And I just pray, God, you continue to use them and release them to be used of you. Not be afraid to step out in faith and be used of you. Watch over us, Lord, as we go our separate ways this week. Keep us safe and under your blood. We love you, thank you, and praise you in Jesus' name. And all God's people prayed in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, folks.